Panoply, Panorama, Panpipe, Pansy, Aha, Pansexual, Knowing No Boundaries of Sex or Gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Yeah, remember this is his name. 
3CR 855 AM, 3CR digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR on demand, out of the pan, with Sally, first broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nations and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in, noting that it was Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Children's Day on Wednesday, and also acknowledge that all the lands around this continent or extended archipelago were stolen and never ceded. And Out of the Pan is a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex, gender or comedic genre, and um, I am your host, Sally Goldner. I use the pronouns she, her. Well, I felt like even though I'd put the CD away and been, you know, sort of thought, well, one tribute. You can't do more than one tribute to Dusty Hill, the late bass player of ZZ Top. Um, So that was Jesus Just Left Chicago. Or was it Sam Punk Left Chicago after that Money in the Bank pay-per-view many years ago? There is the obligatory wrestling reference. Um, On the show today, um, I'll be joined in a second um, via the various technologies, via the always awesome um, Jackie. Um, to talk um, about a very interesting piece of PhD work that's coming on. Um, Someone once said to me um, in a very enthusiastic voice, if you get the chance to do a PhD, don't. No, Jackie is doing it and we're going to find out exactly what it is. Um, So... Um, with that, and oh, before we dive into chatting to Jackie, there are lots of ways to get in touch with this program and communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, you can email out of the pan eight five five at gmail dot com. You can SMS six one four five six seven five one two one five. Tweet at Sal Gold said so, and look for posts on Facebook on Out of the Pan three CR eight five five AM and my page, Sally Goldner. And remember, any opinions on this show are my own personal one and those of my guests. And my guest is someone who um, is becoming a bit of a, um, a well, we don't have regular correspondence on Out of the Pan. We only have awesome correspondence, but our guest has been on before. And it is a pleasure to welcome back to the 3CR and Zoom Airwaves, Jackie Pillar. Jackie, welcome back. Sally, pleased to be back. Thank you for having me. It is very, very awesome. And um, um, so as we respect everyone's gender on this show, I'd just like to check in with which um, we, we, that includes the pronouns that people use, if any. If it's okay to ask, I would like to check in with which ones you use. I use they, them. Excelente. Um, you're a hashtag binary buster, um, which is yeah. always cool. Um and we've, um, we've, well, we've got you on the show for lots of reasons today. Um, well, there was one that's planned and we've had to, gee, we've had to reschedule and rearrange something in these times. Um, who to thunk it? Try and be adaptable. Wait. Mm. <laughs> adaptable, um, re-malleable, moldable, something like that. But both are related to comedy. Um, and I'm, I'm going to dive in at the positive end because we haven't had a chance to chat with you about this. As I said, you are doing a PhD, um, but you're doing it with heart, soul, and gusto. Tell us what it's about. Okay. Well, you know, I was just giggling when you said before, you know, someone said to you, if you ever get a chance to, a PhD, to do it, a PhD, don't. Because I actually come from a family that would have said, PhD, what does that stand for? A post hole digger? <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 
I come back from, from a really working class background where, you know, I'm the first in family to to get a degree. So um, <laughs> I had to deal with my own internalised feelings of um, elitist, <laughs> you know, ooh. but I decided to follow a passion project, which is, I, I mean, Jackie Pill is my stage name. Jackie Brady is my academic name. I've been an anthropologist for a very long time. And I had someone say once on a community TV broadcast, I thought you were joking about being an anthropologist. I'm like, no, I am actually an <laughs> anthropologist. But this, I reverse engineered the PhD process a bit because I have been working in community art. Oh, um, Jackie has prison. Um live on air people of all genders um and back has unfrizen um not you're not walt disney um or anything like that um, um and where were we yes yeah, so you um had a chance to do a patch day by the way um i was once a cpa a car park attendant um but anyway um, so, um, yes, um, we, we love our professions, but um, I'm just trying to um, um, ad lib while I re- remember where you got to. So you were talking about doing a PhD. and um, Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I basically decided what did I – I've had a couple of attempts in the past of doing a PhD, but they were always not – they were subjects I was passionate about. They were subjects about – uh, anti-racism movements in Australia, things like that. I'm very passionate about that. They, were, but they weren't. They didn't grab me. And I thought, if I am going to do what is a hard slog, a PhD is a hard slog. Uh, it, it needs to be a passion project. So I started to notice how angry people get online about political satire. <laughs> and I thought, well, what is it about satire that confuses people, or you know? Mm-hmm. makes them go, what the hell is this? And I've had people say to me when I tell people about the topic, well, it's hard to tell if the news is satire or the satire is news. Ah, uh, yes, art imitating life or life imitating art. Ah, yes. So basically my topic is you can't laugh at that, the politics of laughter. And I am looking at the sort of moral imperatives and the political and social imperatives behind what we laugh at. And then... If particular types of satire make us better at being participating with the political system, so yeah, it's 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 a narrow niche little space, mm-hmm. um, but oh my goodness, what a deep dive so far! <laughs> well, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, the thought that strikes me is, I mean, to use the Alice in Wonderland metaphor of going down the rabbit hole. Well, you could go down to the journey to the centre of the earth, so to speak. I hope you've got a safety rope on you or something because um, (laughs) it could go a long way. I mean, you know, what sort of things have you discovered thus far? Well, I mean, I think at the moment I'm in the very messy stage of a thesis. So what happens with a PhD is the first year is mainly developing your methods, your methodology, how you're going to do the research phase. So if people don't know a lot about a PhD project it's an independent research project or three and a half to four years and it is very much an exercise in daily saying I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) that is it is it's about experiments it's about experimenting with concepts and ideas you have to be very brave so in the first year mostly what I've been doing is, is is playing with going down rabbit holes so rabbit holes have included 
how satire is used by the extreme, what we might call right, and I'm loath to use right and left descriptions because I'm in that nuanced brain thing where I'm looking at, you know, all of the deep parts of that, but also how extremism and how things mm. like uh, World War Two was driven by, you know, some of the anti-Semitic, you know, satire was used in that space. So I've gone down the evil side of satire to the good side of satire, and that's, and that's, you know, things like when satire changes people's minds on a topic because they have not been exposed to that topic and making them laugh exposes them to a topic in a safer or more friendly way. Yeah, well, well, this is exactly true. I mean, I'm, I'm a great believer that um, the world is not a battle between left and right. It's a battle on the political front, front leaving satire aside for a second, between moderation and extremism. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's a question of whether that satire comes from a place of kindness, isn't going to lift up those with less power or who face marginalisation or not. Um, and, um, well, of course, um, sometimes... It can and sometimes it can't. I mean, I'm going to I'll, uh, mention here there was an event when I was trying to have a solid run at stand-up in the mid-2000s called Purge, which was for all stand-up comedians to do all their, and I'm going to say content-warning, racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic material, thinking that was funny. And there was a part of me, to be honest, that wanted to go along and do all the anti-white, anti-cisgender, anti-heterosexual, um, anti-monosexual, anti-monogamous, blah, 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 and things like that. And then I thought, no, I'm not going to sink to their level. So you've already got on, you've got on to an ethical conundrum in how do you distinguish between what is, um, to quote Batpan, what is um, for good and not evil purposes, Robin? Yeah, totally. And I mean, and this is... This is the interesting thing that satire is a particular space. Satire is a constructed space and that's when it operates best, when we're saying this, you know, this is a satire space. But what we're seeing now is that algorithms, social media, citizen, something called citizen satirists, which is, uh, which is for me, I think it's a great thing when you've got um, examples of people pretending to be the prime minister behind a, a Twitter account. Uh -huh. um, those sort of that's a citizen satirist. So satire is that really by its very nature crosses the boundaries both ways it, because it's meant to be an act of cultural inversion. So it's meant to be like a carnivali. You know, we are flipping the ideas and pointing out how maybe. Some of those ideas are quite ridiculous because when we flip them, it's like, you know, somebody said to me the other day, what do you mean by inductive and deductive reasoning? And I said, well, an example of poor logic is the only swans I have ever observed are white. Therefore, all swans are white. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, in the satire space, it's, you know, <laughs> you, you might see somebody create a skit about that piece of logic you know and so it, it is you know there's different types of satire too and that's the other thing I'm learning is just how I'm learning just how much research there has been done on satire <laughs> but yeah you're absolutely right it's 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 the big question and it's going to be the big question all the way through the thesis is that struggle between good versus evil and whether or not people are interpreting the satire the way it is even intended 
and what the unintended understandings are. Yep. And we've had a comment in from, well, we have awesome guests. We have awesome listeners. Hoffler has asked two things. Can they tell us where our funny bone is and where it's located? And with tongue planted firmly in cheek. And then we've got a, and then we've got a serious one. Um, Hoffler's asked, um, now, whilst not satire, it's sort of ballpark next door here. And I'm going to say um, content warning, and I will probably um, bring in, whilst this isn't queer phobia, I'll mention switchboard, one eight hundred one eight four five two seven. Hoffler's comment slash question, and I quote, is, begin quote, a great show to discuss is Hey Hey It's Saturday. Why do why does Jackie think TV networks keep rehashing comedy that may not be appropriate today? Um, you know, and points out the issues, the terrible situation of what happened to Kamal. Why the nostalgia? So there's the first one in from Hoffler, who's put I think a pretty good question there. What do you think um, thus far on that? Oh, absolutely. I think it's an awesome question. One of the rabbit holes, the third rabbit hole I'll mention today is going down the historical, you know, where we've come. And one of the interesting things is we've had a big gap in satire in Australia. I mean, we've got some good satire pieces at the moment, but we, that hey, hey, it's Saturday generation. I'm a Gen Xer, I'm 50. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember us being saturated with Good Newsweek, the big gig, hey, hey, it's Saturday, frontline, all of those things. And when I look at those, I, there's an element of nostalgia, but there's mainly an element of, of for some of it, cringe. Mm. So, and, and if you do look at Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, I mean, some of the things that went on in Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, blackface, you know, the, the, the element also, but also the influences from the United Kingdom. So we have to get, I've got a chapter that I'd like to call, and I don't know whether I will, it's just a flesh, just a flesh wound the influence of the UK colonial humour. Um, so I, I'd say that this is a long, very long history that is in line with satire. The nostalgia, I think it, it's things from our childhood mm. that we go, oh, you know, and, and now I look at them with a very critical lens, but I know there's people that would fight for, hey, hey, so that they come back. Well, if it comes back, then maybe we just make it better. <laughs> Well, that that would be the the sensible win win solution, um, but you know, um, given uh, Mr. Summers' comments earlier this year, and the fact that it's now going to it's actually going to be on the Seven Network, Channel Nine don't want it, and then we all know the Seven's network um, is abysmal history on current affairs, um, <laughs> you know, on with how they've handled some issues appallingly. Um, it's not a good sign that we're going to get that win-win solution. And look, I just want to say, you know, personal disclosure, you know, I grew up with Hey Hey and, of course, in the 70s or the first part, it was a kid show and it was relatively innocent and there were all sorts of silly memories about the time they had and um, they used to have um, that, the floor manager Bray dressed up as a garden gnome and they used to have the lost dog's home and the dog lifted its leg on Bray and all that sort of thing. And there are all these silly little memories, but then... You know, I want to totally add that, you know, when I reflected recently on what Kamal had to say and you hadn't thought about it and you hadn't looked one I hadn't looked at my own unconscious bias about it all, it all goes away. Um, and it can be very hard, you know, to dissect. And, I mean, I'll throw in another angle. I, I do have a dad who was born in England, um, migrated at age 14, but he kept on with all of that BBC type of comedy, some of which um, probably wouldn't cut much mustard today. 
And you now some of it, you know, there is, and I don't like the, the the violence analogy in here. It's you know, it's whether you are punching up or kicking down, so to speak. Um, and you know, when yeah. someone like Dave Allen, for example, took the the Michael out of the Catholic Church and was laughing at himself, that's I think good comedy and good satire. But when you laugh at someone who's less fortunate than yourself, um, and I'm yeah. shuddered to mention a certain former Victorian premier who said we can't laugh at ourselves anymore when someone made a, a remark, I will say, about um, violence against women, um, Eddie McGidiot. But don't mention that. Um, you know, the, how, you know, it's how we draw a line. And I'm going to throw I'm going to throw another rabbit hole in. Then how do we balance, you know, artistic freedom and responsibility too? Exactly. So there's a lot. I've thrown a lot in there, but I just thought that the coffee's kicked in. And I mean, now you can see how messy the first year of my PhD is, <laughs> and how there's been a few times that I've been lying on the floor of my apartment with my book on my chest, staring at the roof, going, "What the hell am I doing?" Um, <laughs> mm. But also, I've got such a you know, like, and I'm, I'm that's why my focus has had to become quite narrow. But I, I'm I'm sorry if I seem to take a Hoffler's question down a rabbit hole, but. Um, you know, I, I can't sort of give a, you know, I, I'm in academic mode at the moment. I can't give a snappy <laughs> response to that one. Um, but I think, it, you know, part of what we're doing with this or what this project that I'm working on will be an action research part later on when I can. So there will be some actual getting out and tasting some ideas. So at the moment I am really committed to those rabbit holes and the ones you raise are all just, you know, they're the ones that are popping up the most um I've had to start reading backwards in time I've had to start going back to some very uh early sort of scholarly works and the study of humor has been sort of a bit um looked down the nose at by the academy at times too because they've been worried about these ethical concerns um and now it seems to be no well you know in the world we're living in we we need humor more than ever well, so, absolutely. Goodness knows we need it. Um, well, in the whole world and then, of course, various parts of um, well, what is now called this nation of Australia. Um, and so we definitely need it. But And then it's how do we make it relevant? And I'm going to come into the um, second um, question from um, Hoffler. Um, begin quote, is the conservative status quo still prevalent with those executives who have a strong con- connection with some political parties, e.g. Channel 9 and Peter Costello, hashtag Costello vision? I think we. I can give a shorter answer on this one. Most likely, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a fair bit written about, about, in the literature, there's a fair bit written about this phenomenon of, you know, maintaining the status quo by messaging, you know, by consistent messaging. And I would suggest that, you know, we have, I'm reading stuff around media monopolies and things like that at the moment. And I think there are times when people think, oh, the whole, you know, people worried about media monopolies, monopolies. Monopolopolies, as Ronnie Barker once said, I think. Like they are somehow conspiracy theories, but they're not. You know, we do have an increase in sort of what I call media being mainstreamed. You know, we've recently had to fight for community TV. And, Mm. you know, I do a bit of work on community TV. We're consistently happening to fight. So, yeah, I think in short, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, 
Now, I'm going to continue. These are, these are great questions by Hoffler, so I'm going to keep um, pumping them at you. I'm totally unrehearsed, people of all genders. Um, does Jackie believe in cancel culture, and can they describe what it means to them? <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I'm really grappling with this. Uh, I, I don't believe in that we should reduce concepts down to two-word phrases. Mm. Interestingly, if you look at... Uh, what we have traditionally called propaganda, one of the key features of propaganda is to reduce massive conflict, you know, stop the boats. You know? mm. <laughs> so I, I believe that audiences have the right to modify what they see and what they experience and make commentary and make political commentary about what they experience when they watch something or listen to something. And if that means, if that bulk of commentary means that our, the presenter of that information, be they an artist or a politician or whatever, has to modify their content based on what the audience is saying, then that should happen. <laughs> so I don't know whether I want to relate that to council culture. I don't even like, I mean, we had this battle with the word political correctness. Remember, everybody's. Mm, that was the and, phrase of the week um, you know, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and originally political correctness was about being respectful. Quite simply, political mm. correctness when it came out of the academy was about uh, own your own stuff, talk about your own stuff. That exactly what you're talking about, punching up, punching down, distinction, punch up, talk about issues, that sort of thing. And then PC got PC, not personal computer, political correctness got popularized and then of course taken in different directions and now we're talking about council culture so my opinion on council culture is that i think people interpret it differently um i don't know that can you really counsel someone i don't know that you can um unless you're talking about serious violence um i i, I think that audience reception theory shows that you know we do have the capacity to cancel things um, and if you know, it's, but I think it's about people's voices. So yep. the fact is, if you look at the J.K. Rowling example, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah, that content name warning. shall not be renamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I just, I just don't want to read J.K. Rowling anymore. I don't want to associate with J.K. Rowling anymore. J.K. Rowling does not support my community. Well, there is the thing on cancel culture, and we're getting there's lots of comments coming in from um, a number of our awesome listeners um, on all sorts of things. But this is the thing: people say, "Oh, people are being cancelled," or the other classic is people are having people are forced to change their views. No, everyone still has freedom of choice as to what views they want to talk about, not talk about, all the rest of it. And so, you know, if you don't want to read that certain author who will now, from now on, shall remain nameless, or anyone yes. doesn't, then that is, of course, your choice. Now, I've got more comments from Hoffler, but we've had someone else come in. I know who it is, but they haven't named themselves. So um, just wanted to say from this um, awesome listener, quote, instead of, hey, hey, I was shaking in a room somewhere admiring pictures of Boy George's eyebrows, makeup and clothes with yes. magazines that a young girl loaned to me. Um, well, you know, look, um, this is the thing when we can, when we can get culture out there, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, 
Um, I was just getting too excited about the Boy George reference. <laughs> I mean, recently Boy George has got some flack in the media. So, you know, um, which is interesting, that word flack, oh, I could take you down a rabbit hole around the word flack in the media context because there's been a bunch written by Noam Chomsky mm-hmm. that's been taken up further. But I won't go, sorry. That's where my head goes in different directions. But speaking about uh, amplifying, okay, so if... If we, if we are concerned about the notion of cancellation, then amplify what makes you happy. Amplify what supports your community. Amplify, amplify. <laughs> and then, and the other thing, yes, we can scroll on by. Yes, we can make choices, but algorithms and social media and that sort of thing are making that harder and harder by the day. So my favourite thing to say to people is, have you broken an algorithm today? <laughs> Have have you sought out something outside of the distraction of the internet or outside the distraction of social media to open your mind to other other work that's going on? Have you gone to a live event when we've got live events or a Zoom event of a lesser-known artist? You know, so while the world... So I would suggest that the conversation about council culture is a massive distraction. I would agree too. All of these, you know, two-word cliches, you know, Politically correct, social engineering, um, cancel culture, um, all the rest of them are, are distractions because you can argue that to, for example, not not to um, not talk about transgender in schools and talk about toxic masculinity is social engineering by keeping the status quo. So mm. all that sort of thing. So um, yes, you're a person after my own heart. Um, and coming back to um, you know sort of. Um, um, you know, sort of um, um, some of Hoffler's comments. Hoffler has commented here, um, it's great that minority groups can use a de- derogatory word and make it their own. Um, so, you know, sort of, and of course the crew that did WOGS out of work and similar did that. Um, Hoffler's also said, go nerdy on us, we don't mind. <laughs> and, um, you know, sort of um, that slogans are too um, narrow and simplistic. However, we've had, Hoffler's asked another Great question. Um, Can you ask Jackie how they do their research from a white privilege perspective and aware of your own unconscious bias? Yeah, absolutely. That is an awesome question. So I am operating from a field of research that's been traditionally quite demonised. I am looking at things from a phenomenological perspective. But one of the, and and it's interesting, it's got a very complex um, background and it's got a complex history that came largely out of the Frankfurt School prior to World War II from white elite privileged academics. So it's being reinvented and hacked and cut up. And on this, I'd like to say the layers of privilege, my only privilege I feel I have is my white privilege and I'm going to use it as best I possibly can to promote intersectional perspectives. Mm. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite conscious of that. But also my, my family's history is not entirely white. And I also believe in intergenerational trauma. And I also believe that we carry the trauma of our ancestors, um, including some of my ancestors, which are non-white. Um, so it, it's, I think there's a much more nuanced, again, conversation about that. But I do have white privilege. I'm an autistic, queer non-binary person and they are the aspects of who I am that I try and bring to the research. I'm going to be working across 
you know, very different perspectives. But on that, while we're on it, I am going to be watching comedy and involving myself in comedy throughout this degree. One of the great things about doing a degree like this is part of my research is getting involved and watching and observing productions that are non-white, productions that aim to amplify the voices of an intersectional community. And for me, intersectional means different body shapes, different body sizes, different ethnicities, you know, different experiences of disability, different experiences of ability. I, that whole, sorry, that whole conversation around those two binaries there does my head in. Um, well, my binaries do my head in as well, even as a binary trans woman. So there we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's also like the conversation with you, Sally, with someone of your heritage, with families that have experienced, mm. you know, the, you know, the Holocaust, you know, those sort of things. So positionality is a word I'm going to throw into the mix, and that is a constant work throughout your research to position you where you are and to check your bias and to talk about your bias and work with supervisors and other academics and the public when you get feedback about that positionality. So it's it's an ongoing, mm. ongoing thing. But from my point of view, whatever privilege I have, I use as best I possibly can, coming from a working-class background who called PhDs post-holdings. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Well, I mean, so, you know, we all have these sorts of biases or um, whether they've, you know, been... You know, whether the, I think it's sometimes a bit of a nebulous distinction whether they're prejudice or internalized prejudice or internalized self loathing, they're all there, mm-hmm. and how we work through them to do research in an area like this um, or anything is really, really important. Now, more question questions in from Hoffler, who, as I said, no more questions, and I've said, no, keep them coming. Um, oh, so- well, Hoffler, I love your questions, it's fine, it's great, it's really great, I love them. There we go. So what are Jackie's favourite comedy shows? And um, that's the first one. We'll um, we'll pause there. (laughs) This is where we go down this thing where I've got to, um, and this is the really strange space for me as a human. (laughs) Okay, Mm. right now. Talking about positionality, Hoffler, is I do comedy and I'm researching comedy. When I research comedy, I have to look at everything. I have to sort of, and I've just done a, you know, just done a piece for the conversation, which caused some controversy. And because I, I had to talk about, and I'm not going to mention it. You can maybe go out and find it. Uh, I had to talk about a particular stream of comedy that I don't personally like, but I wanted to fight for the right for it to exist because it's represent- representative of their fans. So in terms of what comedy I like, oh, well, come back to what you said about Dave Allen. I grew up sitting next to my dad watching Dave Allen. So I do like, I, I, I wouldn't say I don't, I don't have a favourite comedy show at the moment. Um, I am completely enamoured with anything that is on the fringes of mainstream comedy. So I'm actively getting out there and I recently went and saw something called Raise the Bar at Club Voltaire with a disclaimer that that that, that venue is not terribly accessible uh, and they've talked about that. They did an interview with me on Deep Distraction, which is my podcast. And 
but it just the it was just this amazing comedy night of oh my god, just the diversity was great, you know, and it was just not the usual suspects. So I suppose favorite comedy shows. Um, I can't answer that. I really can't. I know the things I laughed at as a kid was Dave Allen, but I was laughing at my dad laughing at Dave Allen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm sorry I can't really answer that. I I I'm looking. I'm future focused. I'm looking for things that. I would like to amplify, I suppose. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah. This this next question, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw in a comment there before I go to Hoffler's next question. And um, you know, look, I think there were three shows, you know, which on the you know, we'll say you could look at from different perspectives. And there was the Australian one, which is going to link in a in a sense to Hoffler's next question, which was Kingswood Country. There was the British one, Till Death Do Us Part, and then um, All in the Family in America. And the question was, were were you laughing with, you know, I want to say you, were were people, I'll say, sorry, I'll rephrase that, were people laughing at or with Archie Bunker, Alf Garnett, um, Ted Bullpit, that sort of thing, Um, I suppose Mm. come... You know, is is an interesting one um, that comes to mind when you say you know talk about Dave Allen, um, and yeah. um, whilst I'm not a total fan of the um, the person who wrote the comedy Bible, I think it's Judy Green off the top of my head. Um, you know, um, she does say one good thing that you know, which we touched on earlier. You know, laugh at yourself, but don't laugh at a group you can't identify with in real life. And yeah. you know, were these people laughing at themselves? Well, that's interesting. I'm going to comment on Kingswood Country because Kingswood Country uh, in my family. So, I, I, again, talking about positionality means when I talk about my research, I have to talk about where I experience it from. And that was we had, I, I had a sort of, I used to call it the political fan club with my dad where we used to go and seek, talk about politics in secret because the rest of the family was like we don't talk about politics or religion. And Dad and I just had these little constant, you know, camps where we'd go and dissect politics and religion. And so Kingswood Country, we would watch because Dad would say, his term for Ted Bulpit was, quote, unquote, you know, the ugly Australian. Mm. So my, my dad resisted that. And so I had this viewpoint. So there you go. There's a classic example of like, we were laughing at Ted Bullpit. You know, we were laughing at him with, with Neville and, you know, he had Neville the Concrete Aboriginal, which was just so dehumanising, the whole idea that, you know, the First Nations person ends up in a concrete mm. representation on the end of the driveway, you know. it was, But it was, as Wendy Harmer said in 1989 in the Australian Financial Review. <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> so, in itself. Yeah, was this is sitcoms are a representation of our society and where we are at. Yep. So, yeah, I, I know that's a bit of a view we go, oh, my goodness, that time period. Mm. But, you know, that was a representation of, of people's neighbours. Um, yeah. Mm. But it can sort of hold space to represent and laugh at it, I suppose, at the same time, which I suppose is good comedy. And the question that the Hoffler then asked, um, which is the lead, was sort of a lead in what is distinctive about our humour, both good and bad, and we'll say, I'm going to add into Hoffler's question, all non-binary points in between, that is unique to us as Australians. Now, there's an interesting one. Okay. Well, I'm going to recite what's in the literature because 
and, and add a bit of my own personal touch to that, I suppose. But I also just, just quickly for a moment, my research is not going to be dissecting satire. I am not going to, uh, I will do some historical overviews, which is a bit like what we're talking about. But a lot of my research will be looking at the experience of how we experience satire from a sensory perspective. So I will be looking at how, you know, we were doing some action research in the field with performers, which I is, is which will happen next year. Um, so we will be looking at the new spaces with algorithms and live versus online and all that sort of thing that's what I'll be looking at. But I will be doing a historical long view. So these conversations are just... Thank you, Hoffler. I really appreciate it. They're always great for me to go, yeah, you know, I'm collecting these lists. And it's like you have a massive list. Now, what were we going? What was I supposed to be talking about then? Sorry. Australian humour. Um, oh, Australian it- humour. Okay, so in the literature, there's lots written about tensions between what is often called the Australian larrikin. So larrikin is you know, there was a book called The Little Larrikin. There was, you know, it's this idea that. Uh, and it's a largely white male perspective. And the larrikin was the little kids in the street and, you know, he had little pushes and, in the 1920s and 30s. And it was also to do with just this really unrelentless sarcasm and political commentary about elitism in Australia that has driven a lot of the Australian comedy space. But, okay, so that's when we talk about it in that sense, oh, this is anti-authority. But then on the other side of that, there's a whole bunch of commentary that says just how safe Australian comedy is and that it's not particularly anti-authority at all. So that they are the two extremes, but there's a lot coming up in between now and we are seeing a lot of change in the space, including things like Honest Government ads, if you watch that from Juice Media. No, I haven't seen that myself. Oh, oh, yeah. oh those are the ones with the... The person, presumably female, who puts on the, um, that was the one who talked about the plebby shite. Is that the one? Yes. Oh, yes. Love those. Yes. They're very, they're brilliant um, indeed in my, yeah. you know, biased, so, yeah. subjective opinion. I'm talking, yeah. So this is a, a representation that probably would have sat on ABC once in the past, but they've created their own media company called Juice Media to do that. Um, it is the brainchild of Gordano Nani. So, he is a historian and he has a very, very interested in, in, in the history of colonialism and white colonialism in Australia. So he brings that lens to it. Um, and then on mainstream TV, you have Sammy Jai, does government coach and mm. playground politics, which is, again, in that space of two types of satire, which get called Horatian and Manipian, which are more issues-based. So we are seeing more of that popping up in the in-between states in the Australian context. Fair enough. All right. Now, um, just a few more comments. just nerded everybody out. (laughs) (laughs) No, nothing like a bit of comedy nerdism. Um, But um, Hoffler has said some of the shows that um, we mentioned um, are too, are unfamiliar because he's too young. Well, you know, um, you know, age is what it is. Um, And, you know, whilst you're, Research is in the early um, stages. I'm thinking if you're going to do four years, I'm thinking of that old adage of what is it, um, um, storming, forming, norming, performing. Maybe that's sort of the four years of your PhD. But um, um, that leads into Hoffler's, um, you know, 
most recent question, in your findings thus far, what conclusions have you come to re-Australia's identity through humour? So sort of similar to the previous one, but a little different. Okay, well, I, I think a lot of my, I, I think I'm too early to make, mm. you know, like those comments. But I will say that I have been a scholar in the Australian identity space for 20 years. So I have worked in, in largely, you know, I, I, I've, I've taught at university a couple of times and I have had the experience, I nearly added another adjective in there, of working with largely um, Pauline Hanson supporters as a, as a lecturer at UQ Ipswich. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think, you know, we still have this very neo-colonial framework that we operate in Australia in and and I couldn't say those things the things that I can say now I couldn't say 20 years ago without being shouted down um and if I was a if I was a person of color I, you know virtually thrown out of the country for um mm. so you know I I think the change we need as a co- and this is a personal perspective the change we need is to, like I say, amplify, amplify those voices. When you know, we, we talk about a lack of engagement with democracy in Australia, and that's a very, very key part of largely white Australian identity. Um, is this idea that we don't talk about religion or politics at barbecues? Mm. And that that we, we and and part of the reason we how part of the way is because people you know operate in philosophical bubbles. <laughs> And, and social media enhances that because the algorithms feed us what we support. Yep, fair enough. Now, I'm going to come back on one thing. Um, and you mentioned the word flack. Um, hmm. So close that loophole. What was that about? Hmm. Okay, so flack, flack was a theory posited by Noam Chomsky that flack is a conscious attack from above. So flack is when you see particularly people in positions of power weaponising a criticism of an artist or a performer or a member of the media and continuing the attack and almost like the the internet pylon that we talk about with trolling online. So that same idea. But flack, when it was first written about, was... uh, sort of mentioned in passing and now there is some new scholars and some new people talking about this as a a new way of generating propaganda you know you know from from a powerful perspective is and flag is a military term it's an old military term um so you know it 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 is about weaponizing you know raining pardon the use of the word crap on people from above and then just feeding a feedback loop where that's all you hear and all you see. Fair enough. Yeah, well, that, that's, I th- you know, that's where I'd heard the word in that more military context. Um, and um, I just wanted to make sure we sort of sorted it in there. Yes, well, we, you know, we see flack, whether it's in the interest, whether it's in a comedy or satellite situation or others, you know, re- you know, reeked from high above on all sorts of people. And I'm thinking of Gillian Triggs and, our own rainbow communities, Ros Ward and many, many others. Hoffler's come in again with a, an int- um, a comment. Um, perfect case to bring into this conversation is 
Geordie and the minister before, which is before the courts now. So we probably have to be a little careful, of course. But, um, you know, um, Koffler's popped in a report from The Guardian on this, um, on the situation between the New South Wales Premier and um, the um, comedian um, Jordan Shanks, Friendly Geordies. Um, so being, you know, yes. th- you know, how do we, you know, sort of thinking carefully about that, I will say, how then do we, um, where does that come into your sorts of thinking? Well, in terms of defamation laws, definitely. Defamation laws have been a major risk to Australian satirists for a long time. So the defamation laws in Australia recently changed on the 1st of July to reflect the UK and the US changes and reforms to defamation law that probably have been coming in Australia for about 20 years. So that situation as it's being played out is one I will be watching because from the perspective of satirist self-censuring, you know, so this this holding back of political expression. So I, you know, I'm very much in the space of talking about freedom or the implied right to political expression. So very, I don't want to get into those other side die. Like, you know, my brain will literally go off the charts, I think. Mm. <laughs> those. But, yeah, the, the, the defamation laws are changing. So there's, there's two things going on in parallel. There's, you know, this dispute between a very powerful man and YouTubers and the the right to political expression. Mm. And it's a really complex one, but from the point of view of, like, defamation law, defamation still protects people from, you know, inaccurate, untruthful attacks. Uh, but, but now defamation laws in Australia are improving to the point where it's like you can't be a really powerful person who accuses someone of defaming you unless it's serious harm. And we know there's so many problems around the construction of the word serious harm. And I'm just saying right mm. now it's not going to be perfect. But, yeah, it's one to watch because in terms of citizen satirists, your right to have a shot at someone online or on Twitter, I mean, obviously you want to keep, you want to keep be mindful of community standards. But, you know, these are powerful people who are making decisions about our lives, you know, intimate decisions about our lives. So it's important that particularly if they are, as we like to say in Australia, out of touch, that, you know, this space, the freedom of political expression space needs to be robust. So, yeah, the Friendly Geordies one is one to watch. Definitely one to watch. We are heading towards the end of the show, so we'd better start summer. Well, summarising um, what we can or wrapping, you know, tying up loose ends, that sort of thing. Um, and, of course, Freedom of Species coming up at um, 1 o'clock and their show today will be an interview with Vanessa Latico, who has a, well, t- talk about um, telepathy, who has a PhD in dairy and criminality and is the author of a, v- a vegan children's book. So there you go. PhD, it's PhD City here today on 3CR Community Radio. Um, so, um, yeah, we've got to be wrapping up in a few minutes, um, Jackie. Um, I think we've thrown... I've just completely hijacked all of your music. We've just hijacked all of your plans, Sally. Oh, that's all right. One day I'll get to, um, when you're on the show, I'll get to play Bob Seger's Fire Lake, which talks about eights and aces. Um, but uh, we, we do have an ace song to go out um, today from Richard Clapton. Um, 
because um, Richard Clapton is ace in lots of senses of the word, but I don't know about um, you know his um, orientation and uh, that sort of thing. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, goodness me. Um, just check to see if there's anything of note coming up. Of course, very hard to plan events at the moment, but the um, Transpire, the Trans Anxiety Group, will be on Tuesday night, um, no doubt, online, run by Transgender Victoria and, of course, um, Bed TV on Friday nights, as you said, Channel 31 slash 44, still rocking on. May it forever keep doing so. And, well, I should ask, um, how do people access your your Poodle cast? The oh, podcast. My, my podcast, Deep Distraction, which is a very new fledgling thing, so some of it could be complete rubbish yet, could be just me waffling, um, <laughs> is, <laughs> is available on Google, Breaker, Anchor, Spotify, Radio, oh my gosh, I don't know, I know this one called Radio something, <laughs> but there's six platforms. But if you search it on anchor.fm, it will also link you to the other platforms if you don't have Anchor or Spotify. So it's called Deep Distraction and I'm sort of developing it as I go along, but the idea is when news is satire and satire is news and then I've got a category called Other Stuff, which is when I review books and comedy shows as well through a, a, a critical lens and then I'm amplifying what I what I think is interesting comedy or interesting perspectives and developments as well. Fabsy doozies. All right. Well, look, we're going to have to um, wrap it up there and start moving out of the studio and make way for freedom of species. As I said, Jackie, it's always awesome to have you on the show and um, with you on Zoom, you picked up um, with your your style of humour the sign on one of our boxes in the studio, clean mic socks, which just cracked me up. You know, so because we should have clean jocks on our mics as well as you said, which is just <laughs> my line of the day. Um, I, love, I, love, I love the bins with smokers, please, on it because I'm always like a smoker won't fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other. That's watch. It's an equal toss-up for line of the day, um, but of course the headline to promote this show will be: Have you broken an algorithm today? Along with: Have you busted any binaries today? Um, yep. So break those algorithms. Um, break those algorithms, and of course your great T-shirt, um, "Revenge of the Killer Donuts," um, which I'm seeing. <laughs> so, and that's that's we'll call that a fringe benefit, and we hope for more donut days soon. Um, yeah. And, well, look, it's just a pleasure to have you on the show. And, I mean, look, you know, I have been doing lots of interviews on leadership, and even though we didn't touch on that today, what you're doing, you know, this sort of intersectional approach to research into satire is a form of leadership, which only quiz do. So I'm going to throw that in as well. Thank you. All right, better get out of here. Make way for Freedom of Species. Take it out today with a song by Richard Clapton, as I said, and... um, and a real um, cracker. And, of course, um, if it is safe to do so, you may, um, you know, um, hit the air guitar um, along with Ben Butler, who um, had a big debut on this um, um, sort of album and DVD that was recorded, Richard Clapton, The Best Years of Our Lives. Here's a track to take us out today, Ace of Hearts. Thanks, Jackie, for being on the show. Thanks, um, awesome listeners, Hoffler and others. And...
listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.